Before we go to the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer and seek His favor on His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the ministry of Your Word and how it can be of edification to us by the blessing of Your Spirit. We seek His blessing, He who inspired His Word, that He may illumine our hearts today and that what's received and what's proclaimed may uh, focus attention as where our faith should upon our great God in Jesus Christ. Again, Father, as we think about that ministry, we remember Reverend Praveen uh, Musasami as he is, or he was soon to be Reverend Praveen Musasami, that he may know your blessing, Father, as uh, he anticipates his ordination, and that may be a day of rejoicing for skills you are to see in your cause. We'd ask that you hear us about these things too, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're turning to Acts 26, 12-29 this morning and resuming our series out of the Heidelberg Catechism, which deals with the matter of Christ. to sum up, sum up things with regard to what we confess as a Christian uh, church and as individuals in that church regarding Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Triune God. We should ask the question, what good does it do us to believe all this in Lord's Day 23? So we'll be looking at Lord's Day 23 too as a response to the word that we turn to from Acts 26, starting with verse 12, as we hear about one of the times that Paul retells, recounts his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Acts 26, verse 12, says this, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goad. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Christ must suffer, that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as far as 
and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, short time? Would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. As far as we're going to read from God's Word this morning, we take a moment to respond by looking at Lord's Day 23, and uh, we have questions 59, 60, and 61 to cover there, so we will get to those. On page 30 in the back of the hymnal, if you want to follow. What good does it do you, however, to believe all this? In Christ, I am right with God and heir to life everlasting. How are you right with God? Question 60 asks. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction Righteousness and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. Question 61 asks, why do you say that by faith alone you are right with God? It's not because of any value my faith has that God is pleased with me. Only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness make me right with God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. <coughs> God's blessing be upon his word as we have so prayed. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I've probably touched on this before at different times, but it comes up here again in Lord's Day 23, and so it's worthy of note again. Uh, I, I can remember as a young person, uh, taking certain courses in school, and I think our boys and girls can probably appreciate this from time to time themselves. You're taking a particular course that you may not understand it's good for you. Uh, not at the moment. Seems a little bit too theoretical, too philosophical, who knows what, but it just you, you have a hard time seeing the brass tacks of it all. I used to be like that with certain classes that I took. I remember taking these certain courses and thinking, what in the world is this ever going to do for me? What good is it? And, and that wasn't a good attitude. It wasn't an open attitude at all. Uh, because if nothing else, I could have said, well, look, in God's providence, that's where he put me now. And I should be looking at that moment and say, if God put me there, I'm not there by accident, and I need to be giving my best for him. But I wasn't that mature to think that way. should have, but I didn't. At the same time, I could have just said, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a part of God's creation here, and I should try to appreciate that. And again, I wasn't mature enough to think that way. 
film, sometimes I miss the practical element of it. And if if if, if it would have been if I was, if it was something that I would have seen more plainly, it would have increased my motivation to learn it. I'm sure. And a lot of times you see that happening with people is that once they get on this train, once they get on this uh, track where this is where they want to go with their lives, they see the good of it and and they get passionate about it and and they they get motivated about learning about those things because they can see the good of it. They can see how it's going to benefit them, and they give it their best. Most people appreciate seeing the practical side of, of what we're hearing or doing or, or learning, generally experiencing. What good is this going to do me? Why am I going through this? How am I going to benefit from this? Sometimes the Christian teaching, however, is is given a, a, or some people, they want to throw a, a stereotypical stain to Christian teaching, and they say, well, you know, doctrinal teachings, you know, this is stuff that's dry, it's dusty, it isn't going to do me any good, it's irrelevant, it's old-fashioned, we need to be up to date, we need to be up to speed, we need to be up to the calendar. What I need to know is something practical. Now, knowing something's practicality doesn't have to be condemned at all. It's commendable. I still ask that question every time I put a sermon together or, I, or, or if I get together in catechism or if I have to put together a Bible study or if, if somebody's coming in and, and asking for a little bit of counsel on something. It, it's good to ask the question, what is going on here? But also to ask the question, so what? But believing that going down the doctrinal path will never lead us to practicality. That's what's going to end up leaving us searching in vain for direction in life. And that won't be very practical. It's also misinformation to state that old doctrinal creedal statements where, where you know, we want to get, throw a stain at, at that and think, well, you know, this was all written by ivory tower eggheads uh, who weren't very practical. But that's really not true, is it, about the Heidelberg Catechism, even though it was written over 500 years ago. What good does it do you to believe what you're called to believe? The Christian faith, which we're called to profess, is filled with blessing. That's practical. That's beneficial. It's a practical faith. It's a unique faith faith, and it's a faith by which we're able to share in the blessings that Christ has won us, which we oftentimes sing are fast. Christ has earned these. Christ has won these. This is what who Christ is. And Christ gives these to us when we belong to him by his electing grace. And so this morning we're going to consider the blessings of the Christian faith and consider, as you see in your bulletin, practical good of those blessings, of the faith, the uniqueness of that faith, and the instrumentality of that faith. We start by looking at the goodness of the practicality of the Christian faith. The focus here is on a faith that isn't empty or useless or misinformed. You know, it's, it's not just that faith does us good, but particularly the object of that faith that does us Good. If faith for faith's sake 
did us good, or if a simply zealous faith is something that does us good, then Saul of Tarsus would have won the prize. He would have won the practicality award and the good faith award because he was zealous like no other. He, he, he wasn't just content to disagree with the Christian faith, but he was willing to persecute Christians for that faith. He wasn't, he wasn't content to just uh, persecute Christians for their faith in his backyard. He went to somebody else's yard. He went all the way to Damascus. That was zeal. But zeal, untethered from true faith, is misinformed. And gets dangerous. And gets destructive. And really does no good, no matter how zealous we might, we might be. Many there are who are zealous in the world with their brand of faith. To the point of fanaticism. And terror. But that, that, that doesn't make their faith good to have because they're so zealous then. Far from it. What good does it do to believe in this faith that's focused on the triune God in Jesus Christ? Well, the good of it, as we hear here, is dealing with things that matter for time and eternity. That you're made right with God and you have life everlasting. That's what matters when you boil it all down. It makes all the difference for time and eternity between night and day, light and darkness, like our passage speaks to us about. That's practical. It's a difference maker on essential matters of being in favor with God or not, being eternally condemned or not. This makes a positive difference to the nth degree. We confess that we believe that confessing our creed, confessing the doctrine of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is what changes our relationship with God and that it sets us up for the glories that await. That's essential. That's, that's practical. That's important. We're no longer children of wrath, but children of God. The good that it does then is transforming like we hear in the past. It's as transforming as Paul's experience on the road to Damascus that led from darkness of his misinformed faith to the light of a faith that was in Jesus Christ. He describes it as transferring from the power of Satan to the power of God. Pulls apart. That difference is what makes the Christian faith a practical one. And the teaching that is to believe practical doctrine because it's resting on God. The difference between being right with God and not being right with God makes all the difference in the world. And when something makes a difference, that's practical. To go through life, every, every breath you take, every moment you, you have, and be able to say, if God is for us, who can be against us, as opposed to the opposite way, makes all the difference. 
It's useful. If I'm justified, I'm no longer condemned. But if I'm if I'm not justified before God and I refuse to believe in this Christian doctrine regarding Jesus Christ and making it priority for me and his saving work, then I'm condemned already. That's a cloud of judgment that's resting upon me. And I can have all the toys in the world and I can live a long life and I can have all the friends and I can have all the successes and I can accomplish everything imaginable and I can be having fun, we might think, throughout life. I can have all the power and control in the that the world has to offer and I can seemingly have no worries and I can say, I don't need God. But God's my enemy then. And I really have nothing I don't. Because I'm not right with God. And being right with God isn't important to me. And professing that isn't important to me. I don't have anything. I've lost sight of what's important. What needs to come first. What's truly valuable. And I have failed to see. I have failed to see what life is supposed to be about because I just thought it was all about me. And all about what I want and all about what I get and all about what I desire and all about what I enjoy. And really, life has passed me by. And that passing by is dealing with what's practical. Without this Christian faith, I've also deprive myself of the proper hope that goes beyond this life. Everything is all about today, all for the moment. Or maybe I misinform myself about how I can be assured of security in the afterlife. I may be convinced that it doesn't matter what I believe or I don't believe, and whether I, I care about God or I don't care about God, or if he's an afterthought or if he's at the, at the forefront. I may not think there's anything beyond this life, nothing but death. You know, and you think about that. If you really focus there, then if you think that's true, how empty life becomes. I, I may be convinced that if I'm a suicide bomber, eternal bl a bliss awaits me. I may think that I have my, I'll have my own universe one day to rule some, uh, my own universe because of my good life. Latter Day Saints think that way. Remarkable. I, I may believe that life is but a cyclical circle that sends me from one life form to another. I'm a human now, and I'll be something else later. And I'll just have this going on in perpetuity. Or, I, or maybe I think that God will accept me eternally for my sake instead of Jesus' sake. Because, you know, I'm all right. When we have the wrong view of eternity, it makes all the difference as to how we ought and will live today. It just does. And that's Practical, isn't it? What good does my faith in the triune God do? It teaches me that my everlasting life's already begun. And it's going to lead to a full blooming faith as I head into eternity. And that hope, which isn't a wish, it's not a whim. And it's not uncertain. It makes all the difference for today and how I live. All the difference. That's practical again, isn't it? That's what good this faith does. I'm God's child. 
I'm an heir of eternity. I'm a future recipient of, of the good things that lie ahead for the people of God in the new heaven and the new earth. And in the meantime, in the meantime, I'm already a new creature that God has crafted to serve him in everything, in everything that I do. That's practical. That's what good Christian faith does me. It's not empty. It's not misinformed. It's a practical faith that's filled with a trust in the God who has done all things to make life good for me. Like Paul would say, short or long, except for these change. Change. That, that faith is what he wishes. Not just for the kings of the earth, but for every person on the planet. Because he knows what a difference, all the difference in the world that such a faith has on a person's life. It's also a unique faith, a unique faith. And in that sense that it's not supplement. Okay? We, we confess it only by true faith. Are we right with God in Jesus Christ? Our passage says that the apostle was called to be a witness and a servant to the crucified, risen, and saving Lord, which he says provides the forgiveness of sins by faith in Christ. If we don't have this faith and rest in faith on Christ alone, then that practical faith isn't ours enough. Now, it's practical faith, but not in the sense that it's a faith that's uh, supplemented by work unto justification and forgiveness, or entirely substituted by work itself. As a Christian church, and in the spirit of the Reformation that, that sought to restore focus on the justifying work of Jesus Christ, we confess that we are justified through faith alone. And it's the, the paradox of our faith that it's neither empty on the one hand, it's not empty, but it's not supplemented on the other hand. Faith isn't empty because it focuses on Christian teaching. And it's not supplemented by the resting on what one does to be justified and, and to be the recipients of life everlasting. Faith rests solely on what Christ has done, making this faith unique that way. No matter what other faith that we might find in this world, it's going to be a faith that relies on self rather than what on God does alone in Christ. That's what makes the Christian faith unique. That's because every other faith that makes them false finds as its basis the sinful man and his enslaved nature, which Paul calls in this passage the power of Satan. And in that framework, mankind loathes, it loathes confessing that he has a natural tendency to hate God and his neighbor. It naturally loathes against God. It's a natural loathing against God despite God's goodness displayed every day. Makes no sense, but sin doesn't make sense. And there's a, there's a natural propensity to, to seek one's own, own way, seek one's own glory, credit oneself for one's good way and one's supposedly good goal and end, and it's not that way. The Christian faith doesn't do that. It doesn't want to try to supplement faith, and it doesn't want to try to seek to substitute faith. 
with one's own goodness in some way, some credit that, that goes to, goes to that, that person. It, what it does, right, is it, it admits to one's badness and professes Christ's righteousness. And so it rests solely instead on what God does in Christ, knowing that its security is found in this one who has both taken away my sin and also credited me with the righteousness of Christ so that I'm not only pardoned for my sin, but I'm seen in God's eyes as if I've been the perfect one that God demands and deserves for me and that only Christ was. And that is a sweet sound in the Christian believer's ear. Christ. Christ is where security is found. When that's my faith. It's unique when you contrast it to the world's view of faith. And it's unique because unlike, unlike the world's view of faith, it doesn't try to add anything or substitute anything for it. Faith finds its blessing solely in the Christ whom the Father has sent to take away sin and justify those who belong to him. It stands alone that way. And in doing so, its uniqueness, when we hold it, secures us with the blessings of Christ, most assuredly, which is essential to a faith that will do us any good. Now at the same time, though, of course, and thirdly, just briefly here, we don't want to overstate faith either, though, with all that we say about its uniqueness and its practicality. Do we need to believe in Christ and Christ alone? Of course. Does it do us any good not to believe that? No. But we have to be careful not to overstate that faith. We say that in the Catechism, too. You know, well, why do you say that by faith alone you're right with God? Well, it's not because of any value my faith has that God is pleased with me. Catechism is concerned about that because we, we speak to the uniqueness of faith that we're made right with God only by faith alone. We can misunderstand that, though, to mean that it is actually our faith that makes us right with God. And some people think that's nitpicking. But some confess that the basic reason that God elects us to eternal life is because of our faith. And there are others who make the confession that the reason that we don't have all that we want uh, health and wealth and power and the other things that people call the, the good things in life simply because we don't believe in them. We just believed hard enough. If the value of our faith had a greater appreciation to it, we'd be fine. Others simply see that the ground of our justification is found not in Christ, for the best that he can do is, is make our justification possible, but the ground of our justification is our own faith. And you see what happens when you do that. It's a practical thing. What ends up happening with such an attitude is that the focus in any of those scenarios goes back to us, doesn't it? We like that. By nature. We like that. Because of us, God gave us what we needed or what we wanted. Because of us. A subtle shift 
But it's a substantial shift because it takes our attention away from God and it's Christ who justified it, justified us, and put the attention on ourselves, which by nature we lie. The blessing of our faith, though, is not that it's the ground of our justification but that it's the instrument that allows us to receive our justification. An instrument graciously received by God through God's Holy Spirit. You see, even, even the faith that we profess is what we would never profess were it not for the grace of God at work in us. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this faith, this faith is a gift of God, not of works that no one should boast. We talk about what we should boast about tonight. Not in anything is it on us. But to God be all the glory. Solely. Deo. Glory. To God alone be the glory. It's a practical point. Because when we realize that not even the faith that we profess would be possible were it not for the grace of God, then what a difference that would make in our praise of God, right? It makes a, a practical difference in the attitude, in the depth of our praise, the approach that we take in everything that we do. That's practical. We owe all to God. And He deserves our all then in all parts of our lives. And that's why the Apostle would say in everything we do, whether in word or deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What good does it do you to believe all this? All the good there is. All the good there is to receive from the hand of God. Christian faith is indeed a blessed gift. When we consider the good it does us in Christ that way, when it rests in Christ alone, and when we see that God gives it as an instrument to receive all the blessings of Christ for our lives, it is indeed like what Paul said to Agrippa and Festus. It's a worthwhile prayer that short or long, the apostle would like all to be where he is, except for the chains. It's a worthwhile prayer that all who are here, more and more people all the time, would come to embrace this faith because it's for their own good and for the glory of God. Whether it takes a long time or a short time, may more and more people share, appreciate the blessing of the Christian faith. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to receive your word today, short or long, Father, with people here or far away. May people appreciate the good that believing in our God through Jesus Christ truly is, and why you deserve all the glory in our lives. May we never seek to substitute or supplement the ways in which we receive that righteousness from Christ. And that life everlasting. Oh, what difference this makes for time and eternity. May we see the practicality and the importance and the relevance of holding to the timeless truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'd ask, Father, that you would hear us in the name of Jesus.